For those joining us online, we are so glad you're able to do this. We encourage you to use westernhills.church as a place for resources during our worship time. If you're on Facebook, let us know you're there. YouTube, I want to encourage you to subscribe to our channel. And if you can click notifications, when we go live, you will know. We'll see you in just a few minutes. Good morning. As the video mentions, uh, remember that what we do here today, as we worship our Father in heaven, that this is only a part of our worship. Our worship exists all week long 
in what you say, in how you live, and in those small moments and big moments, we continue to worship the God of all creation. So I want to encourage you to take that with you today, that you remember that wherever you go, you can worship God. And when we come together, we bring all that we are collectively to lay before our Father in heaven. And He hears us and He cares for us. This morning, I want to remind you that westernhills.church is a great resource, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching us online. It's got music uh, from what we're singing. It's got the scriptures that we'll be using. It's got a study guide tied to the message series that Scott Meyer will be launching today. Also, there's a new here section on there, and you can uh, go to that and let us know uh, a little bit about yourself, whether you're here in the room or you're online. There's an option there to let us know where you're watching us from. And we would love to know who you are so we can share a little bit back about who we are as a church at Western Hills. And this morning, I also want to encourage you to use uh, that device throughout the week. It's got our newsletter and other items, and then you can stay up to date with what's happening tied to Western Hills. As I mentioned, uh, Scott's going to be launching a... Oh, I'm going to talk about prayer warriors. I'm going out of order. Um, for those that get our newsletter, you may have noticed a change. We uh, are not publishing our prayer list anymore. A lot of that has to do with our world today, but we still want you praying. We have an incredible group already that have signed up and are getting what we call our prayer warrior prayer list on a weekly basis, also with some updates along the way at times. If you're interested in being one of our prayer warriors, all you have to do is contact Diane Vanagoni. Diane.Vinagoni at westernhillsonline.org, or most of you, a lot of you know Diane, just ask her, put me on the prayer warrior list. You'll get an email with updates, because this is a praying church. Our shepherds pray, our people pray, because we know that prayer matters. So if you're interested in that, let us know. We would love to get that information to you. Now, Scott's launching a new series today. We have journals tied to this series, 1 Thessalonians Journal. The series is Everyday Disciple, Every Day. I want to encourage you to pick up one of these if you want to help with some of that cost. There's a box out there available for that, but that's not necessary. If that's one of these things we want to give to you, go ahead and grab one. Do ask you to do one thing, maybe even right now. If you've got a journal, this is like class. Everybody have a journal? If you have a journal, open it up right here, not on the black part. We can't read that. Write your name. We find these, that people have written wonderful notes with no name. We would love to get your journal back to you if you accidentally leave it here. So right now, just put your name there because we want you to have that. You're taking time to focus on God's Word. We want to make sure that you can have that as a blessing in your life later. Again, if you want to grab one of these, we're going to be uh, worshiping in just a moment here. You can go out there in the foyer and get that or pick it up on your way out as well this morning. We are currently in a process of elder selection. We've gone through a, a period where we had nominations and this church responded well. Two men uh, clearly rose to the top uh, in that process. And so now we're in what we call the counting the cost phase. Um, these two men, MJ Linder and William Craig, uh, are spending time with our current elders talking about what it means to be a shepherd at Western Hills. And we've been asking you through this whole process to be praying about this. 
we're moving through this counting the cost phase, and then uh, in April we will have a time where we'll be uh, asking you to affirm uh, these two new men and uh, those that are willing to continue serving that are currently elders. And we'll tell you more about that as we get closer to it. But right now we've asked A.C. Blunt, a man who's served as one of our shepherds for several years, he's going to lift this process up in prayer right now. A.C., if you would. Thank you. For this day, Heavenly Father, you have given to us to come and worship you so that our lives come closer to your bosom. Thank you for letting us call you Father and for, for you calling us your sons and daughters. We come before your throne now to ask for wisdom and direction in the selection of elders to lead the Western Hills Church of Christ. We pray you lead us in your pathways, guide each member of this congregation in their personal prayers. We ask that you give the current elders and the future elders patience as they serve. We ask they continue to desire a closer relationship with you and find peace and wisdom through a study of your word and prayer. We pray for the elders and their families as they serve. Help us to encourage them as a, as a flock. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, AC. And encourage you again to continue to lift this process up in prayer uh, throughout this time. If you would, please stand with me. We invite Cole Clark to come and share with you a scripture from Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2 for our call to worship. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. There is an endless song echoes in my soul. I hear the music ring. And though the storms may come, I am holding on. And to the rock I cling. How can I keep from seeing?
In just a moment, we're going to spend time in what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, communion elements are available. They're at the table in the middle or at the doors. If you came in, if you missed that, we're going to be singing a song, and you can uh, gather that at that time. Our communion focus and prayers this morning will be led by M.J. Linder, one of those that has been uh, nominated to serve as a shepherd here at Western Hills. So M.J. will lead us in our thoughts and our hearts as we remember Jesus, as we turn our eyes 
to him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. So as we focus this morning on the Lord's Supper, uh, we used to come to a table, and now we don't have a table, um, but long before that, we passed a cup, um, and we went from a cup to trays to uh, individually packaged um, elements. That does not diminish in any way what we remember here. What we remember here is the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Savior. And one verse I'd like to focus on this morning is kind of the results of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, 2 Corinthians 2, I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we may have, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. So this is sometimes re referred to as, as the great exchange because Jesus comes to the table and he brings the full righteousness of God. And we come to the table and we bring our sinfulness. And in this exchange, God's full righteousness is given to us and Jesus takes on all of our sin. And that's what we remember today. We remember that, that sac the sacrifice that set up that great exchange. If you would, please, take, take your emblem here and take the bread. And if you would, hold it while I pray. Father God, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. We thank you for, um, for his perfect life lived on earth to show us how to live. And we pray that we might fully reflect your righteousness in the way we live our lives. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Please pray with me again. Our God and Father, we thank you for the blood that was spilt, the blood that covers our sin and makes us whole in you. It's through your Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. What a wonderful truth that our sinfulness, because of Jesus' sacrifice, has been exchanged with the righteousness of God. May we live that out every day this week. This time I want to bring up Rachel Scott, who is our Sunday morning children's director. And last week she started us off on a crew contribution. She's going to tell you a little bit more about that. And I'll hand it over to you. Thank you. So last week we started doing the crew contribution, the, the crew cares contribution. Um, after we did the Keeping Up with the Joneses series, we are teaching our kids about financial faithfulness. And this is something that will be ongoing and every quarter we'll have a new project. So this quarter that ends at the end of March, our kids wanted to make bags to keep in your car to distribute to people who are experiencing homelessness. So today, they are actually going to make the grocery list of what we need to go get at Sam's so that we can go and make those bags. Your kids are awesome, and they are passionate about this. So at this time, I would like to invite Mr. Craig to come and do pray over it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to join in in your mission. Father, thank you for the blessing of children. And Father, thank you for the children's willingness to give and to want to help others. And Father, I pray that you will bless uh, this project. Father, I pray that our children will learn spiritual giving. Father, I pray that they will learn to see people the way you see people. Father, we are so thankful for Rachel and the work that she does, Father, and 
just how much she loves our children. And Father, we ask that this contribution will help others around and that we will be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So at this time, our kids three through third grade are going to use their walking feet. They're going to grab a little buddy. They're going to bring their contribution for this week. Our bucket is going to be located over here on the first pew. You're going to drop your money in and let's go to crew. Here we go. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of the King rise among us. Let it rise. Let it rise. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the joy of the King rise among us. Let it rise, let it rise. Oh, let it rise. Oh, let it rise. Let the glory of the Lord songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the joy of the King rise among us. Let it rise. Let it rise. Right before you sit down, turn and just welcome somebody. And if you haven't had a chance to grab a journal yet, go grab one. We'll get started. Okay, if you would, find your seat. 
We are a growing church, and both we're growing and filling up uh, this room as well, and we're also filling up lots of our other spaces, but we are determined to continue to try to meet some needs. And so some of the exciting things that are coming that I'm going to let you know about, one, you've heard Rachel talk about this already, but I want you to be praying about this because she's um, already got plans to separate out our crew worship, which is what they, the kids dismiss for, into an older and a younger because that is a growing part. Also, we have recently come across that there's a need for, um, on the other end of the spectrum, not the complete other end, but what we're calling midlife. If you want to define yourself at midlife, we are launching a class in just a few weeks, uh, a little bit more than that, but right after Easter. Uh, on April 16th, we're going to be launching a class for midlife. So if you're in that range where your kids are in the back half of high school maybe, and you're either in the empty nest or you're looking at the empty nest, Eric and I are going to experience the empty nest. We're sending two off at one time. And so we'll cut our household in 50% uh, all in one fell swoop. But if you fall somewhere in that range, not a hard, fast rule, but if you fall in that Keep your ears open because we're going to be launching a second hour opportunity on April 16th for that and continue to fill up more and more of our spaces here. But we want to create that because we realize that there's a need and an opportunity there that God's at work. Just a couple of places that are growing. Very excited. Uh, as we launch in to this new series, I just want to say how I am, how excited I am and grateful that the way that you guys receive and embrace these scripture journals. I love preaching from them. And if you haven't been with one of our series yet where we've done a scripture journal, the idea is that you can follow along uh, with the scriptures. It's the English Standard Version of translation. And there's lots of blank spaces for you to take some notes. I'll give some instructions oftentimes of words that I think are important for you to emphasize. But the idea is that you would take this from the message and go into either a second hour experience where you're um, relating to others and to perhaps your home group comes together around this material or you sometime during this week in your study as you're looking to grow and become more and more in the image of Jesus that you're relating back to these and it's a tool that helps build you in your spiritual formation as you grow in your faith. And so I'm very excited about that. I've received all kinds of encouragement this week. I, I get blown away by those that follow us online. And this week I received a card from a man that you've never had a chance to meet yet because he's never actually been on our campus, but he follows us from Tennessee. His name is Earl, and he is looking forward to this series and is going to have a journal and be following along, as well as one of our own, Evelyn Browning, who you know and love. Uh, she is not able to be with us on many Sundays, and so she is following from the online stream, and she's with us today. And so I just want to send out that our love and appreciation to them as they're joining us, and they're part of what God's doing here today. Well, we're calling this Everyday Disciple Every Day. And what I want to do is I want to wrestle with a serious question that we face as followers of Jesus, and if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you tied into this series because we're going to talk a lot about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in your everyday life. And let's be honest, 
That's not getting easier, is it? We live in a world that I would describe as hostile to the Christian faith. Now, you're going to find out that's not news. That's not a new development. But there was a season in our history, particularly in this country, where it became very comfortable and very easy to be what I would call a cultural Christian. Meaning, there was lots of things in our culture that propped up, or at least had the feel or the imitation of, the Christian faith. And maybe you're of an age where you can remember where there was such things called blue laws. And if you have not heard of those before, that's because they ended a while back. But there was a day where Chick-fil-A was not the only thing closed on Sunday. Okay? All kinds of businesses would be closed on Sunday because it was deemed a day of worship. There were a lot more strict censorship going on in the kinds of movies that we could produce. There was a lot that went into the culture that at least put some forms up and around the Christian faith. The problem is, for a lot of us in the church, we really fell in love with those forms, and now that many of them are not there, we lament the good old days. But we're going to encounter a message in this letter that unpacks the fact that the church was never designed to be the home team. This is not our home. This is not where we're supposed to settle down and find all of our comfort, security, and joy. It is a hostile world. So here's the big question that we're going to wrestle with all through this series is simply this. How do you live with holiness and hope in a hostile world? How do you live with holiness and hope in a world that is not going to pretend any longer, that's not going to pretend and act like it's at least culturally Christian or culturally acceptable to be a follower of Jesus? How do we live in a world that will no longer give us the props, will no longer give us the support, that will no longer orient itself and, and arrange itself around our beliefs, but will do what it wants and... In many cases, that becomes hostile to this. And while I do not suggest that we experience um, outright threaten-your-life persecution in this country, around the world, to say that Jesus is Lord is a claim that can cost you greatly. Financially, with your family, And in many places in the world, even today, it can cost you your life. So the world is no longer going to bow down or pretend to be our friend. So how do we live? How do we live in this? And so at some point you may think that, that, well, the spiritual giants out there know how this is done. You know, we read in our scriptures, and there's all these heroes of faith. There's 
There's a guy named David, and he fought a giant named Goliath. There's a man named Noah, and when the rest of the world was wicked, God found favor in him and gave him the instructions and the power and the ability to build the ark that protected him during the great flood. Or you may think of Peter and Paul, and Paul's the guy we're going to read about today, these followers of Jesus that even though they endured a lot, somehow they had this supernatural kind of ability that we don't possess, so we think, that we don't possess because we're not like them. We're not as strong as them. Or maybe there's somebody that you just look around in your own life and you think of a grandparent, an uncle, maybe there's a minister somewhere, there's a friend down the street or a co-worker, you look at them and go, they're spiritual giants, they'll know how to get through this. They've got something that I don't have. I, I remember this feeling very clear as a young high school student. And the youth group that I was a part of also did mission trips, much like what our students will do during the summer. And the way that you got into the mission trip was you signed up for a mission training class. And the first time that you were eligible in my youth group to sign up for the mission training class was in the 10th grade. So... The end of my ninth grade year, my buddies come to me and they say, Hey, we need to sign up for the mission training class. And I looked at them and said, No. I said, That's for really spiritual guys and really spiritual girls. And then I named off four or five upperclassmen in my youth group that I looked at and I thought, Well, they've got it together. I'm ordinary, I'm just average. Because I'd bought into that lie that there's a special select group of saints, that there's a special, you know, God's got an A team, and then there's the B team, and then there's the guy that he lets suit out, and that's me. I'm not one of those. And I think there's a certain deception or lie that perhaps Satan uses that when we think about can we make an impact for Jesus, can we make a difference in the world, does my life actually matter, that one of the most insidious lies that we fall into the trap with is when he whispers in our ear, you're just average. You're nothing special. And so when you take a nothing special, average, ordinary, everyday mentality and you place it in a hostile world, it seems like it's stacked against you, doesn't it? This does not seem like an equation or a formula that equals success or impact or faithfulness, right? And so this is why we're calling it the everyday disciple. What do you do as an everyday, ordinary person that's trying to follow Jesus? That you would never raise your hand if I said, all the spiritual giants in the room, put your hands up. And you're like, not me. How can you, in your everyday, ordinary, average, run-of-the-mill life, be a disciple of Jesus every day? And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians. Now I'm going to give us a couple of definitions before we dive in. Definition number one, as we talk about disciple. 
A disciple is simply a student. This idea comes from the rabbis. Lots of times in, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to or called a rabbi. And the rabbi school was simply this. When you followed a rabbi, you set out to imitate the rabbi. To learn to be like the teacher. To take on the rabbi's life as your life. And so when you read disciple in the New Testament, it's simply a learner. It's a student. It's those of us that say, I want to live to whatever degree that I can my life like Jesus. I want to take on his life. And you'll see how Paul uses that to instruct this young church. The second thing is you're going to hear us talk about today is the gospel. Gospel seems like a very church word now, but it simply means the good news. If I bring you good news of any kind, I'm bringing you gospel. I'm bringing you something that's newsworthy, that means that something different, something has occurred, that means it's news. That's why you call it news, because something has changed that changes everything else. And then it's good. We get enough bad news in our world that it's actually funny when you come across something good. Well, this is good news, and it changes everything. And so we're going to learn through this series, what's it mean to be a disciple every day, an ordinary everyday disciple with the gospel. Now, this letter, you may, not, you may have shown up today not knowing what a Thessalonians is and why is there two of them. Thessalonians is simply a letter. We have two letters in our, in our New Testament, both written by Paul, who went around preaching and proclaiming Jesus and planting churches. And then he would write these letters back to this church. And the earliest one we believe we have is this letter, 1 Thessalonians. The first letter to this church in, in a city called Thessalonica. And perhaps we believe to be the very first letter that we still have that Paul wrote. And you find the story, and it's a very unique story, in Acts chapter 17. So Acts references Paul's experience with this church, and it's an incredible experience. And you're going to see how it actually lays the groundwork for everything he's going to say. So I want us to go to Acts 17, and I want you to hear the story of Paul arriving at this church and the result of his preaching, because it helps us understand what he's trying to encourage this church to be about. So Acts 17, here's the words if you want to... Flip there right now, you can, your Bibles. There, obviously, that's not going to be in your journal. But if you want to flip in a Bible or if you want to use the westernhills.church, we've got the resources there. But this is the description or the account of Paul coming to the city of Thessalonica and preaching the gospel and the result that it had there. So listen to this. Now, um, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphilipos... In Apollolina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. Paul would do this. He would show up, and the first thing that he would do in a city is he would locate the Jewish community, because Paul was a Jew, and he was going to teach and proclaim from the Scriptures. And so he began there. And on three Sabbath days... He reasoned with them from the scriptures. So he shows up and he does a series. He's preaching. And apparently 
he was at least well-received by enough where he got to keep preaching, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, the reason he has to explain that is because, remember, there's a good portion of his audience that's Jewish. And the Jewish people never would have thought that the Messiah would have suffered. The Messiah would have been on a cross. So he is going right at one of their reluctances to believe. And he's proclaiming that no, Jesus did have to suffer. Here's why. And he explains it from the scripture. And his preaching is about Jesus. And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, is the Messiah, is the anointed one. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, this is his traveling companion, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few, and not a few of the leading women. So, Paul goes in and preaches and Jews begin to believe, many Greeks begin to believe, and some prominent women begin to believe. This, for a preacher, he's knocking it out of the park right now. I mean, this is exciting for him. This is early on in some of his, his mission work. He's excited about this kind of result that he's seeing. But, now here comes the hostilities. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. Isn't that a great word? The rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. Now, Jason we don't know a lot about, but Jason's where they, were, they had been staying. He had been, that's the house that they're in. So they, these Jews are jealous. They're not going to have any of this other kind of preaching going on. They're not in the group that's accepting it. And so they rallied the crowd... And they bring these accusations, they bring this mob to the front door. Now, you can have a negative response to the sermon, but I'm going to ask that you not bring a mob to my front door. I mean, this is not just some fiery email that somebody sent off. This is, they are looking to persecute and prosecute these guys. They formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And, they, and when they could not find them, they had already somehow, they either were alerted by the Holy Spirit, or they were told by somebody else that, hey, this crowd's coming. So Paul and Silas, realizing that they're going to be the focus of it, and it's going to be better for everybody else if they slip on out, they, they exit. They have to actually leave the town now. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting. Now, look at this accusation. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men and what they're teaching are turning the world upside down down. Boy, if I could have something on my resume, I'd like to have that. This claim that they're making, now they mean it in the negative way, but ironically, they're absolutely true. Because they're making the claim that their Caesar is Lord, and now 
Paul and Silas are showing up and they're making an opposite claim that Jesus is Lord. These men who've turned the world upside down have come here also and Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar. So the accusation is treason. The accusation is disloyalty. Saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people of the city and authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Basically, they had to post a bond to get out. But their accusations were, this is disrupting everything. And so now there's persecution. And the persecution doesn't just die out after they pay the bond. It just doesn't die out when they pay the fee. Now... They've got the city in an uproar, and they're watching this young church with eyes. Remember, Paul does this over three days. So somewhere between three months and three, three weeks and three months, Paul forms up a church, and they buy in. And now the persecution comes, and Paul and Silas have to get out of town. And so Paul is heartbroken because he had such energy, such excitement, such receptivity to this message that he sees the results of it, but now he's got to go. And so he travels on, and later he writes back because he's afraid, as any good pastor would be, did it have any staying power? And he's worried about this young, young church under this persecution and this hostility that's coming from the world. And so he writes back, and he gets a report, or he wants to write back, and he gets a report that they're, flourishing, that this church is holding strong. And so he writes this letter that we call 1 Thessalonians, the, perhaps the very first letter that he wrote. He writes this letter to encourage them and equip them with our very question. How do you live with holiness and with hope when it seems like the whole world is stacked against you? That's the point of 1 Thessalonians. That's what we're going to unpack and explore each time we come together. That's what Paul's trying to do. And you've heard me say before, if you've heard some of the previous series that we've done, the current cultural dynamic that we live in right now, in the 21st century, my belief, my conviction is, that it more greatly resembles the cultural dynamic of the 1st century than any century in between. That the hostilities of the culture towards the believing Christians greatly resembles the hostilities of our culture today. And so I think that this is the perfect letter for us. The perfect words in Scripture is we try to figure out how we're going to be everyday disciples every day. And if you're, again, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus... This is the perfect primer for you. That's why I want you to follow along, even if you're not all bought into this stuff yet. I want you to follow along because this, not my words, but Paul's words, will help you to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what does that look like each day? So let's dive into this letter. With that as the, the preamble, let's dive in. Acts, I mean, sorry, let's be over in the, uh, 1 Thessalonians now. We'll just start from the beginning of the letter. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read all the way through the first ten verses. And I'm going to do that because 
Because that's how they would have received this letter in the first church, in the church in Thessalonica. They would have received this letter. It would have been um, read to the church. It would have been uh, unpacked for them right there. And so I want us to have some of that experience, and then we'll go back and we'll walk our way through this. So here's Paul, and he writes. And if you just want to listen this first time through, if you want to follow along in your journals, you're more than welcome I'm going to come back. You're going to see some of the words that, that I'm going to think are important as they come up on the screen, but we will come back and, and address each and every one of them. Here we go. Paul, and you'll, say, you'll see Sylvanus there. It's just another word, way of saying Silas. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Paul's copying me. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with the full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul opens with a greeting. He says to this church in Thessalonians, and he, he, again, he'd spent somewhere between three weeks and three months there. It was just a very short time. When you know about Thessalonians, it sits at a major crossroad. It sits at something known as the Via Ignatia, which was a major highway that ran more than 700 miles through the known world that time. Major trade route. It also sat just a few miles from a seaport. And so from coming from sea, coming across land. This was a very prime city. This was a key city in the area. This was a major city. In fact, you can go to Thessaloniki today, and it sits on top of ancient Thessalonica. This, this is the role that it played. It was a major city. And so if there was any place where the Christians would feel outnumbered, would feel outgunned, outmaneuvered, outpowered, outfinanced, out everything else. It would be in a city like this because it was very cosmopolitan. It had ideas coming from all over the place. And to this one, he writes these words because of their faith, because of their excitement. He writes these words and he says, grace to you and peace. And then he goes on and he launches into a prayer. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mention you in our prayers, remembering before our God and the Father, and look, look what he says, he does kind of this little three-part deal here. 
He says, because of your, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. This is what we're hearing about you, Paul's saying. Faith, hope, and love. And those are going to be themes throughout all of Paul's writings. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction, you know what kind of men we've proved to be among you for your sake. Now, he's moving into equipping them. Here's what we've heard about you, and here's how I want to encourage, and I want to equip you. And so he's going to give us the keys, give us the, the ideas, the concepts of what it means to be one of these everyday disciples Every day. And the first thing, if you notice what he says is, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that that Paul wants us to understand, I want you to understand, disciples embrace the grace of the gospel. We've got to remember where the gospel comes from and how it comes to us. It is so tempting for us to think, I found God at some point. I started my path towards God. I reached out to God. Every testimony, every action should always begin with God because God always is the actor God always is the one with the verbs when it comes to my salvation or your salvation. And so when he says you've been chosen, what Paul's not saying is he's not saying some of you were picked and some of you weren't. Like God went through a big crowd and said, okay, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're lost, you're saved. And he skips over you. That, that would conflict with Paul's other other teachings and preachings. If you remember in Colossians, Paul talked about the gospel has now gone to the whole world, and he talks about it's a whole world, all creation gospel. Paul, in his own writings, also says that I have become all things to all men so that I might save some. Paul does not think there's a certain group out there, and we just got to figure out who they are. The invitation is open to all. What Paul is saying when he uses this word chosen is God chose you. He chose you. He reached out to you first, not the other way around. The gospel always comes to us, not from us. It's not how did you work your way back to God. It's did you open yourself up to the invitation that God offers you. And so he reminds us of that. And notice, again, and the reason that I'm so convicted on this is because the very next sentence, right after the chosen you part, because the gospel came to you. Notice, we didn't run to it. I didn't find God one day. I I didn't earn my way back. God found me, came to you not only in word, but also in, and here it is, the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have come to a belief in Jesus, you're being powered by the Holy Spirit for that. 
And what we do each day, every day, is we remind ourselves that we embrace the grace of God. Because when you embrace the grace of God, it positions you to remember how much more others can use the grace as well. Because when you start forgetting the grace that you have, it's easy to get judgmental then. It's easy to start looking at others and wondering, why don't they have it figured out like you do? As if you figured it out on your own. And we start losing compassion, and we start losing that love that Paul was talking about, and we start becoming cynics, and we start becoming jaded against the world instead of embracing the grace that's freely given to us. He goes on, next verse. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You begin to model what we pray. We were only there with you a short time, but you figured it out pretty quickly, and you became to exemplify this in your life. For you received the word, and look at this next sentence, in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Most of us do not write sentences that have affliction and joy in the same sentence, right? Paul is acknowledging they are under a serious persecution and it is a hostile world. Remember, Paul first thinks that when he has to leave town, he's worried about them because he doesn't think they'll be able to stand up under it. Then he gets word that they're flourishing under it. And so he reminds them, here's why you're flourishing. You have affliction. The world is hostile, but there's joy there. And this is a core concept when we follow Jesus that we've got to understand is that we don't have joy because Jesus takes away all of our sufferings. The problem is we think that God promised that somewhere to us. And many of you are struggling because you think God is not holding up his promises because you still have some afflictions in your life. The promise is not that you will have joy instead of suffering. But that there is joy in spite of your suffering. In the midst of your suffering. And if we're going to live as everyday disciples, every day we embrace the joy that comes from the gospel and from the Holy Spirit We embrace a joy that says something beyond this life is there. That's where the hope part begins to come in. The holiness and the hope that we are looking for somewhere, realizing that this world is not our ultimate home. There is something beyond. There is something more. We're just the visiting team here. In the midst of the the struggle, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the affliction, whatever it is in your life, there still can be a joy, and we embrace that joy. And then he finishes this way. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For the, look at what he says. For the, the word of the Lord, for the gospel, 
the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. In other words, your reputation has gone out ahead of you now because of how you're living every day as an everyday disciple. It's already gone ahead of you. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that when we get there, we don't have to say anything. You're preaching the sermon before we get there. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were so taken by this message that their lives completely turned around. And that spread the word of the message. You notice the part. It says you turn from idols. This would have been directed at the Greek-speaking folks, the the ones that were non-Jews, that had come to believe in this faith. And for them, that's a radical change. The Jewish believers had to get over the fact that the Messiah was actually a suffering Messiah. That's what Paul had to convince them of. For the Greeks, he had to convince them that all the other gods were not true gods because they worshipped idols. And they had an idol for this and an idol for that. And if you're going to go plant crops, you went and worshipped the appropriate god. And if you're going to um, hope to have children, you went and worshipped the appropriate god. And if you wanted your business to do well, you went and you worshipped the appropriate god. And there was all of these gods that you went and you worshipped and you gave allegiance to you gave sacrifice to, you, you gave acknowledgement to, and Paul comes along and says, there's one God. And the Son, Jesus Christ, is the hope of the world. And for these Greeks, they then turned away from their idols and began to worship this one God with all the persecution that came because of that. Now, you think it's difficult sometimes to have politics and religious talk around with your family this is that on a great scale because for many of them when they stop saying that caesar is lord and stop worshiping the appropriate god that went again that that represented whatever trade guild they were a part of their shops were shut down their businesses were closed up they were kicked out of the trade guilds and it cost them a lot but they're living this out. And now they've turned from worshiping the idols, and it says here, to serving the Lord their God, serving the living and true God, and that's making a difference. They are taking on this gospel life. And so, as we embrace the grace every day that comes from the gospel, as we embrace the joy that comes from the gospel, the last thing we do is we embody the gospel. We embody the life of the gospel. And that is where God was using their living it out every single day. That's where God was using to take the message even further. It would have been so simple for them to think, we're just a small little ragtag church of brand new Christians. How in the world are we going to make an impact? How in the world are we going to make a difference? And simply by living it out, the word was going forth 
and they were becoming examples and seeing. You have no idea who's watching you. You have no idea the impact of you just faithfully living out the grace and the joy of the gospel every single day, what God can do with that. God used a small little church to change a region because of that. What can he do in your spheres of influence, in your workplace, in the halls of your high school, as you attend your college classes, as you meet your buddies for coffee early in the morning, as you go through your daily life? John Stott, as I research this, he says it this way. This is my prayer for us. The church that receives the gospel must pass it on, and the church that passes on the gospel must embody it. Let me pray for us. Father, it does seem like we live in a hostile time. May you remind us of the gospel, and may we learn to embrace the grace that you extend to us, the joy in spite of what we're facing, and we would become living, walking embodiments of the message. Father, I pray that even though we wouldn't claim to be spiritual giants, that it's not how big we are, but that you're a mighty God. And that you would use each person here, whether they're in a classroom, they're in an office space, they're in a shop, they're in a retirement home, whether we find ourselves in a grocery store, in a checkout line, in a restaurant, in a park, wherever it would be, Father, as we live out our daily life, that you would use that to make an impact and make a difference. Father, may your word still be effective. May we find joy in it. Father, I ask a prayer for anybody that's hearing this message that is not yet a believer, does not yet claim Jesus as Lord, has not yet given themselves over in the waters of baptism, that you would begin to work in their hearts right now. And showing them that even though there's hostility out there in the world against this, that there's a joy to be found in the middle of this. And that your word would continue to have the power that it has always had. Father, may we be witnesses to that. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. It's the Jesus the one that we hold up. It's his name. Amen. If you would, let's stand and let's worship as we sing. And may this be our anthem as we claim that Jesus is Lord and we're going to live every day as a disciple. From the ends of the earth, from the depths of the sea, from the heights of the heavens, your name be.
shouts of the weak, from the shouts of the strong, from the lips of all people, this song we We have a tradition of ending each service as we say the grace together. And so if you would, as everyday disciples, will you say this with me? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace.